We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Darius. And the Lakers played probably their best basketball game in the last two weeks, a very low bar indeed, but was not enough to beat the Timberwolves without LeBron. T-Wolves moved to 12-1 and at home, sitting atop the Western Conference, and the Lakers dropped their fourth in a row and five out of six. D, I thought it was a game that you can play yourself into a hole and you can play yourself out of a hole, and I thought it was a step in the right direction, but Lakers sit just one game above 500. And the next time we talk, we'll be uh, back right after Christmas. So on Tuesday, there's a very, very real chance next time we record, Lakers are under 500. And so I do want to talk about the game to an extent, but I also want to talk about kind of like where we're at. This has been a week where I've really wanted to gravitate toward more big picture topics. And LeBron and AD have been fantastic. Obviously, LeBron did not play last night, but in terms of both health and play, like AD was so freaking good last night. I had the Gobert matchup circled for a while where it was like, he's going to have to hit some jumpers to be great against this guy. And boy, did he. He hit like six or seven of them. LeBron's been phenomenal. And still, this Lakers team is not very good up until this point. And so take that where you want to go, D. I'd love to take a big picture at some point, but thoughts on last night's game just in general. What you said at the end there is like, I partially agree. The Lakers have not been good to this point. They've been bad over the last stretch and they were uneven to start the season and they were really good over a middle part of the season, like in the lead up to and through the in-season tournament. And I think one of the things that I've been wrestling with is which one of those teams is the real Lakers team and how do you get more to what you want to be out of what you believe to be the truth out of the three different versions of those teams. I agree with your sentiment that if you want to get out of a hole, the first thing you do is stop digging. And I thought yesterday's game against the Wolves was a good first attempt at that. We will see if the second attempt on Saturday is the same direction or if this was just uh, my arms got tired and I'll start digging (laughs) again on Saturday. 
every game I feel like is a great opportunity to learn something or to reaffirm something that you already mm-hmm. believed. And before we started to record, I was thinking, oh, like, oh, I wonder what approach we're going to take for today's pod. Like we're heading into Christmas. I found myself in like a very like nitpicky mood. Even the players who play well, like what's wrong with you? And so I was thinking about Anthony Davis and I was just like, oh, well, there's really nothing wrong with you. Like you sprained your ankle the night before. We were not even sure if you were going to play. You came out and played your best jump shooting game of the season in a game that required that from you. You mostly played good defense. He was a step slow on a couple of like um, ant coverages and he was a little bit jumpy on ball fakes. It's just like there were a couple of things like that, but it's just like, okay, Anthony Davis, there's nothing wrong with you. You're playing great. And then I moved on to like Austin Reeves and I was just like, oh, Austin, another 20 point game, like 50, 40, 90 for the month of December. But I was starting to dissect some of his games Mm -hmm. and even last night's game. And I was just like, "Okay, another four turnover night, another night where I thought his passing wasn't as sharp. Another night Mm -hmm. where I thought his passing reads weren't all the way there. He had AD, for example, a couple of different times on pick and pop jumpers when that was a shot AD had been taking and making the entire night. And Austin got his 20, and I thought overall he played well. He was also a minus 11, and he played a lineup that this wasn't all his fault, but he played, he was a part of a lineup that was the worst lineup of the game. Is that all Austin's fault? It's not. But again, I was in a nitpicky mood. So I'm trying to figure out what works and what doesn't. Absolutely. And I think that the Austin topic, like if, if we can linger on that a bit, like Please. the the units where Austin has been asked to lead those groups have not been good on offense. Now, like you said, it's not entirely his fault, but I think that it's – we're at a point in time where like we have a lot of information on this team, I think, so far. Like that's the real gift of LeBron and AD balling out and being healthy the way that they have in that that – is a level of certainty. This It's our fifth year of having them. And so we've seen lineups that work next to them, lineups that don't, what works and why, especially this version of Anthony, Anthony Davis that's making jump shots and a, a threat from the perimeter. Like It provides a great uh, foundation to understand like what works and, and what doesn't. And I, both Austin and D'Lo... I don't want to say have a fatal flaw as as a lead guard, but it can be they are they can hurt the team in different ways from that spot. And so and they have kind of opposite problems with with D'Lo. His passing is probably the most durable part of his game. Now, he has some turnovers that especially in this funk that he's been in where, you know, he's making a, a pass. that It's like, yeah, that's you know, that guy's not open. Uh, but by and large, he's pretty good at the, the offense runs better when he's in the game because he's more of a pure point guard, but he can't really get his own shot in ways that Austin can. Like Austin is the more talented one-on-one scorer. And so if he's running a unit, he's more capable of, and we've done some some nice things in terms of like setting our screens higher toward half court. Austin's really been drilling that pull-up three off of ball screens, which is a great tool to have. But when Austin is good at running a unit, it's a very like one-on-one style of basketball that doesn't 
that doesn't permeate the whole group, right? Like he's playing well, but there is not this sort of cohesion and unity throughout the group that Dilo can actually facilitate, right? Dilo can yes. can do that a bit, but he can't get the buckets one-on-one or in, in ball screens the same way that Austin can, which is one of the reasons why like Dilo has one of the very best net, and I think the best net rating of any of our guys that have over 100 minutes next to LeBron and AD because it takes a certain level of attention off of him and allows him to be a complimentary player in ways that really help his game. Sure. And he can be that kind of wheel greaser as a passer, but also a shooter, right? It also but, covers up his flaws. Like if he's exactly, not scoring and he's next to LeBron and AD and LeBron and AD are having nights where it's just like, oh, well, they're at 25 plus points. It's just like, okay, well, you can be a guy who isn't relied upon to score and still reap the benefits of a unit that's playing well. That's right. And with the Austin groups and the Austin led groups, he is getting his points to a degree. But again, there isn't that it, there isn't much facilitation for others. And there are a lot of plays where it's a pick six. It's a, a pocket pass type of turnover that gets deflected and it's a run out the other direction and an easy two points. Right. And so to me, in it's almost like I would deduct two points for from the 20 that he scored in terms of sure. like evaluating his game where if you're throwing multiple pick sixes and again, this is these are in lineups that are not that are bad They're in other good. ways. Yes. Yes. And so this is but and so that to me is the core thing is this. It sounds like a criticism of, of Austin and it's more like there's a limitation where he just needs another guy out there in those groups that like these were groups with him and like Cam and Prince and Wood and Hayes. And it's like he's the only guy that's a ball handler in that group. And we should know by now that those groups don't play very well. It's funny when you were talking about the way that Austin gets his buckets. My oldest daughter is a seventh grader and she's starting to play basketball. It's funny because the type of basketball player I was, I grew up watching Magic Johnson and I was like a pass first, pass second, pass third Same. sort of player. Yeah. And I played soccer when I was a kid, which influenced like the sort of feel and spatial awareness I have as an athlete in general. Growing up, guys who sort of were like, a few years ahead of me that I really watched as pros were guys like Jason Kidd. He was a player who I really appreciated as a passing talent. And it's sort of how I tried to play the game. I bring all this up because my seventh grader is a gunner. She shoots like all of the time. And part of it is because she's like a natural athlete. And at that age on her middle school team, a lot of the kids are not basketball players. And she's not necessarily a basketball player either. She's an athlete. And so she can go and run around and she's just faster than these kids or she just moves more naturally. So the last game I went to go watch, watch her play in, she was getting those shots up. Boy, let me tell you. And I was talking to her coach after and I was just like, hey, man, like I got to start working with my girl. She's got to start moving the ball a little bit more. And he's just like, oh, no, we were yeah. down three starters today. I told her, keep shooting, keep shooting. And so when I got home, I told my wife. I was just like, hey, you know, our girl is out there looking like Team Wolf. <laughs> and she started laughing because she and she's like, well, what do you mean? And I was just like, you remember Team Wolf. When he was the wolf, he was out there and he was just hunting his own. And when you were talking about Austin, it made me think of the wolf because Austin's out there and it's not like he's a selfish player. It's not like he's not trying to make the right play. That's right. But Austin is the type of guy where 
he is not super athletic and you could tell when he's in the zone, he is super focused on getting to his spot and making the yep. move that he needs to make in order to get by a player who is typically more athletic and, and just eager to shut him down. And so it's just like, if you're not paying attention and Anthony Edwards will take the ball from you, McDaniels yep. will take the ball from you. And so if Austin and sort of got- scouting report on you, right? Like this is yes. how teams are like, hey, this and this is something Austin's gotten a lot better at. I just want to throw that, that in there. He's handling ball pressure one-on-one than, better than ever before. But that sort of like Madden- cone right that yes. Madden passing cone is kind of narrow because he has to lock in on that one-on-one type of thing but that to me you're describing a shooting guard <laughs> when yes, you're talking about no. that kind of guy and, and so I bring all this up because one of the things that I'm super grateful for are the things that we've learned and so over the offseason there was this perception and it was discussed like Austin's like oh, well I play point guard my whole life and at the NBA level there's this thought of just like oh can Austin be a point guard And I think one of the things that we're learning is he's probably more of a combo guard than than anything. And even a combo guard that skews more towards a shooting guard. And that's not a bad thing. Not at all. But that's information. You just have to know that that's what he is, right? Yes. You have to act on that information. That's information that you can then use to build out lineups. And it's information that the team should be using when building out lineups. And so if the second best ball handler next to him is Cam Reddish... And and in my nitpicking way that I came into this pod thinking, if Cam Reddish is going to be a guy who takes the first open shot available to him and looks to get downhill more and make plays off of the dribble, that's also not necessarily the the best compliment next to Austin Reeves. And the offense is going to suffer because of that, because there's not enough passing on the floor. So let's take a break here. And in the spirit of continuing to look at the big picture, I do want to talk about more lineup construction stuff. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, so the offense being bad is one of those big picture topics that I want to that I want to explore more. And Rui, I thought Rui's game last night. Uh, yeah, I thought he played really well. Hopefully, he's feeling okay this morning after taking another hard fall. He's had such bad luck in terms of hard this physical ball got stuff, hit, man. Got hit in the face man, twice. Hit like. in the face and then just landed squarely on the ground, man. Just poor guy. Um, I thought he had a really good two way game yesterday. His defense on Carl Anthony Towns in particular represents 
a skill that we haven't talked about a ton defensively, but I think is important and possibly like the 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 big dissonance that I see right now on, on this team. The biggest thing is that what I think we naturally are, and then the style of play that our our coaches want us to play are two different things in a lot of ways. Meaning that I think that I've I've I, I've sent you guys a lot of screenshots about the uh, this is what our numbers look like when this guy's playing the three versus that guy. And it's very much a big groups versus small groups. And really the, the data is very compelling toward the bigger style of groups. But the style of defense that we play requires a level of chase and pursuit from your two and three positions. So we're talking Cam Reddish, Torian Prince, Jared Vanderbilt, and Rui if he's going to play that spot, or LeBron if he's going to play that spot, right? That I think it's totally reasonable for them to be like, I don't know if... Rui and LeBron can chase to that degree at the three spot, but that's not the only way to win, right? Like that's not the only thing that a three can do. And so Rui, his ability to hold his ground defensively and hold his post position, one of the reasons he's really good against Cat is similar to why he was effective against Jokic in that when man, when Jackson Hayes was on Carl Anthony Towns, he just went right through his chest. Mm-hmm. Right. And you can't do that to the same degree with Rui. If you try to do that with Rui, Rui's a big guy and he's going to be able to hold his, his spot and can move his feet pretty well. Right. Now, that's a different job than chasing Kevin Herter around screens. Right. But it's one of those things, D, that when you've got guys, and this is a bigger overall thing where when you have a lot of vet men guys, vet men's are sensitive, meaning that there are several different types of lineups you can play them in where they'll be really bad. And so finding the spots where they can be good and the reasons why are super important rather than just plugging them into kind of a predetermined style of play, right? And so in Rui's instance, that defensive weakness of not being able to chase guys around can be made up for a certain degree by he can help you out on the interior and he can be sort of a second big. And this is sort of the, from the like Rui at the five type of discussions that that we've been having is it's more like a second big in that, like next to Anthony Davis type Mm -hmm. of way. That's the way that he can be a big rather And they played good minutes together and they have throughout the year, the Rui and AD groups with LeBron off. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on Rui's two-way game. I I have a long I, I have a lot of thoughts on how I think that he's the guy that's having the hardest time with the switch from four out to five out. But that'd go for another three or four minutes. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on Rui because I thought I think he's an important figure going forward. I have games against the Knicks and games against the Wolves circled as Rui games, and the game against the Knicks did not go as well for Rui. I thought Randall really took it to him, and Randall. Played like an all NBA player, which he's been in two out of the last three seasons. And he was just better than Rui. I would argue Randall took it to LeBron James and he took it to Anthony Davis some too. Randall was in his bag and he was doing he was doing his thing and he won his matchup. It's why his numbers look the way that they look at the end of the night. He didn't score 27 points against Rui alone. But Randall and Towns are two very specific types of fours, right? They are... Mm-hmm. They are comfortable on the perimeter. They are comfortable taking jump shots and they are comfortable then leveraging their their jump shooting ability to get downhill and go through you in order to score. And last season, Rui did really well 
against both those players. He did well against mm-hmm. Randall uh, when they played in New York and he had good, and he had a really good game against Towns defensively the last time. And so coming off of the Knicks game, I was just like, oh, I, and then LeBron's not playing. And I actually messaged you guys this before the game. I was just like, I think the Lakers can hang in there against this team. And one of the reasons why I thought that was because I like the Rui against Towns matchup. Mm-hmm. So the game was going on. And I was just like, man, I texted you this and you had an interesting response to me. And so I want to hear you talk more about this. I said, Mm -hmm. man, I wish there were more natural matchups like this for Rui so he could just start because (laughs) this was a good thing. And because I was just like, this is a real good one for Rui. And I wish there were more of these. I said that there are, I forget exactly what I said. It was pretty demonstrative, but like there are a lot of those type of matchups. Yeah, you're like, like I think it's more realistic. Like basically like, I think this could happen more than what you're saying. And I was just like, yes. And so talk to me about that idea in Rui because I'm interested in him as being a key part for the Lakers. Mm -hmm. And the other night he played like 18 minutes and Cam right. and Prince combined played like 70. Yes. You know what I mean? And, and yes. so that idea of skewing more towards a player like Rui, where there are maybe questions about his foot speed defensively and his utility offensively, I'm more of the mind that it's just like there is more than one way. And the way that this right. dude does things is helpful in support yes. of AD and LeBron because the Rui with LeBron minutes have also been mm-hmm. fruitful. Just yep. like you were yes, saying that the minutes with Rui and AD have been fruitful. The groups we have not seen a lot of are the Rui with LeBron and AD. Those groups have mo- like, I, I haven't looked at the numbers lately, but I'd be surprised if they've even played 40 minutes all season. It's 59. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not, not, not a ton. And it's something, well, Let's start here. Let's actually start with Jared Vanderbilt because he's somebody that we've seen that's on the current roster that's been successful next to LeBron and AD, right? And Dilo had a comment last night about like, we actually haven't played the lineup that we started that worked for us last year, right? Like the the Dilo, Austin, Vando, LeBron, AD group. And so part of why Vando works worked alongside them is he is both the point of attack defender. And it's super important, I think, to consider this from the coach's perspective of this is the attribute that they're looking to have at the two and three spots is a perimeter defender. Go guard that guy. And usually there's two guys on the other team on the perimeter. So last night it's like, okay, Cam Reddish, your job is to go guard their main guy. Uh, Torian Prince was on a mix of Mike Conley, or Torian Prince was mostly on on Mike Conley. Um, and uh, who was was Dilo on? Dilo was on McDaniel's. Do I have that back? Oh, and yes, and Dilo Dilo was on McDaniel's, right? And so that uh, Vando occupies that spot, but is also helpful on the boards, right? This is an unusual combination for a player to be: is to be a really good point of attack defender and very helpful as a rebounder. Right. But it comes with the other end of the floor where it's there's offensive issues that go alongside that. Right. And part of my argument for the utility of Rui is that Rui is helpful defensively in different ways, but it's more like a big man. Right. It's more like and I'm not talking like the type of big man that would be the uh, guarding pick and rolls like 
it'd still be AD, right, guarding that guy. But Rui is more helpful as the four defensively than LeBron is a lot of nights, right? Because he can be active on an 82-game basis. And it's hard when one of your interior players is somebody that is not like that can't have the, their foot on the gas defensively 24-7 like LeBron, right? And so does that push LeBron out to the perimeter defensively? It does. I would argue that that's more helpful than other other things. So this is the point I'm trying to get to. Forgive my, my rambling no, please. on this. But it's that we have talent on this team. It's in bigger players at the wing spots. But what they do, the the guys who can pursue on the perimeter have either been hurt, whether it's Vando who's playing, but doesn't really look like himself to to a great degree, or Gabe Vincent, right? Then there's Cam Reddish, who comes with some offensive complications, right? Like both Vando and Reddish come with a degree of offensive complication that guys like Vincent and Rui do not to the same degree. But a guy like Rui can't pursue on the perimeter in the same way. And so it just requires a different approach to the same talent that that – that to me is like when you're asking, is a coach going to change his vision for the team? Because like at what point is he going to do that? He's usually the last one to to identify and, and move on from the thing that he wanted to do in the first place. So let's take a break here and keep keep the conversation going. Yeah, I think viewing a team through a new lens is a tricky thing. And a lot of times that only happens when your hand gets forced. So a lot of the guards were out or when injuries struck, it's just like, okay, well, guess who has to play now? These other guys have to play. And I thought early in the season, we used and the coaches used those minutes to figure out who can play and who can't with who. I think we learned something at that point about like what the what what like what Christian Wood could do in lineups next to LeBron and and AD, what Jackson Hayes could do in lineups next to LeBron and Rui. And but as everyone has gotten healthy, then there needs to there has been a reevaluation of what the talent is on the team. And it speaks to the point that you made the other day that if you're just ranking who our most talented players are from one through 12, the odds are that those two backup big men are going to be lower on that list than guys like Gabe Vincent or even Cam Reddish or Torian Prince, who has found his game in a way that is like super helpful. I just want to give a shout out to Prince, like first game back in Minnesota after leaving them as a free agent. He went four for four from three and hit five of the six shots. And every one of his threes seemed like an important three. He hit that one at the end of the first where it's just like the Lakers are about to be down by a bunch of points, like nine points, I think. And then he hits a three and suddenly like the momentum is curbed. And a lot of his shots were exactly like that. Oh, the Lakers are tied now because Torian Prince hit a big three. And so Prince has found his game, especially on the road, and he's been helpful. And so I'm not trying to like steal minutes from a bunch of guys, but There is this idea of reorganization around what I think is still the biggest idea on the team, which is how do you best support LeBron and AD rather than how do LeBron and AD support the rest of this group? What have we learned about that? 
right there, like to zero in on that over the beginning of this season when they're playing well, they've been healthy. I think we've gotten some answers in terms of like how it fits this particular roster. Yeah, I think LeBron in particular works really well with the skill guard and he has great chemistry with Austin. But I think if you put too many skill guards on the court next to LeBron, then it's law of diminishing returns to a certain extent because LeBron is always going to be able to commandeer offensive possessions and he'll do that whenever he wants, right? And so the times where he is willing to give the ball up, if there's not enough ball handling on the court then, then maybe you struggle. But the fact of the matter is, is that he's always available to take a possession back. And so it's like, do you want, do you need that extra skill guard on the court just in case? And I would argue you don't. No. Like you basically just say, hey, skill guard number one, you're going to do this anywhere from 80% of the time to 40% of the time. And you just have to deal with that fluctuation in role. Well, and also like this idea of a skill guard, like we haven't even talked about D'Lo. And if yesterday wasn't the a uh, uh, great example of both the good and bad of him was oh, for man, three yes. and a half quarters, it was like, man, this guy can't get anything going offensively. And then he scores like 13 points in five minutes or so in what I would argue is sort of a fake comeback. Like we came back and... Yes, if we get a stop defensively here or there, maybe we make it more interesting. But Minnesota was never really threatened to lose that game. It wasn't garbage time. It was like recycling time, right? (laughs) (laughs) Perfectly said, yes. Like, yes. And so um, that said, though, like the idea of having a skill guard, quote unquote, on the floor, that D'Lo's offensive floor is below that. Right. Like it's actually a player that's really struggling on offense. There are some players who who don't play with a level of defensive force or maybe don't make a rotate. Like there are plenty of players in the NBA that fit a lot of the criticisms that D'Lo gets defensively that are that are rightful there. I don't think everybody always sees the deflections that he gets and when he does play well, but it isn't unfounded. Right. And even he commented on that yesterday in postgame with kind of like. Defense isn't the main thing that I do. Um, and that said, though, is if that's the case, though, the offensive end, the floor can't be that low. If you're also struggling that badly, yeah. it becomes really problematic really quickly, especially in the context with what we were talking about earlier with Austin is kind of good in this one-on-one way of doing things, but it, it, it he's he's kind of out of place as running a unit himself. That exacerbates that problem. I wanted to comment really quickly on Austin again, just to like frame this properly so that it doesn't feel like so like critiquey or we're like bat like like bashing him. I think Austin is a great is a very good strong side scorer. And I think that he's a good second side like creator type type of player right and so what i mean is it's like when he's on the strong side and he has the ball he is looking more to create a shot for for himself which, which is fine when he's on the second side i think he's much more of a like connecting player and that's mm-hmm. a super valuable guy to have on a team because when you yes, put him out there with other shot creators he can he can like oscillate 
between being this guy who can get you a big basket, but also be a release valve in ways that it's like a lot of guys around the league who are like, who can be ball dominant guys aren't comfortable. They don't do that. They just don't. And his feel with LeBron, especially as like a short role player and how he can make the skip pass and what and his processing speed, it's just excellent. And so I just didn't want folks to walk away from this pod and be like, oh, Pete and Darius took a big old dump on Austin Reeves game. Like, no, like we love Austin. Austin's great. This is like this is more about the role. Like in a a lot of ways, the what we're talking about in this pod is a lot of coaching decisions and about the like, these are the things that we've tried over the first third or so of the season. And this is what's worked. But when LeBron and AD are hooping and healthy. And you've got this roster that before the season, everybody has agreed that there's good talent on the roster mm-hmm. and you're still just one game over 500. It can't just be, oh, wait till we get all our guys healthy. It has to be a thorough examination of like what's working and what's not. And a player can be playing well within their own capabilities in that, but can be miscast in a role. And I think that that's what we're talking about with with Austin. Yeah, he just can't be the lone guy that's out there trying to run an offense. That is just not his forte at this point in his career. That's not to say he won't do it ever, but it's just like, that's just not what what his forte is now. And bringing it back to this conversation we were having earlier about supporting like LeBron and AD and what we've learned, I'm still of the belief that you should be surrounding them with motor and defense as much as you possibly can while also having enough skill on the floor in at least one position and hopefully two where you were then able to play off of the strengths that LeBron and AD are providing you both offensively and defensively because LeBron still has strengths defensively as well mm-hmm. while also being like well these guys can do something with the ball if they need to do something with the ball. Right. And here's players who who I think fit into this idea most. Austin, Rui, Gabe, Vando, Prince, and D'Lo in his own way because of like the passing ability. But like you mentioned, the issues with him are like his offensive floor and like when his motor is sort of just idling and his shot's not falling. It's like, well, okay, you're you're an excellent passer who is just that's all you're really doing out there. And then Cam. Cam's an interesting player to me. Yes. We need to talk about Cam. He has been frustrating me a little bit more of late. And I'm wondering if you feel the same at all. In terms of frustration? Yeah, yeah just well, in terms of frustration. He he makes uh, a lot of bad decisions on offense, and he's very aggressive in way. It's I don't know. It's kind of a chicken or the egg thing. One of my beliefs, and I've been texting you guys, is that like Cam, to a lesser extent, Rui, um, but let's just say Cam Wood and Hayes in particular are very LeBron dependent. That if you put Cam in an organized offense situation, and so Cam playing alongside Austin in one of these units where in the context of the conversation that we were just having, LeBron provides a level of offensive organization that 
when we have a guy on the floor, our offense looks really good. But in the absence of a guy who can quite get to that level, it can be really disorganized and disheveled. And so I have a certain degree of of like LeBron helps Cam get into a more organized place but also cam makes a lot of poor poor in the moment decision decisions where he's like over penetrating and yeah. being very aggressive the other night he had just one shot fewer than anthony davis which yeah. should never happen and so i i think he's a guy who in the spirit of guys being asked to do a little bit too much i think he's a part of what's going to be good about this team I just don't know if it's in a 36 minute role, but also the Vando and Gabe stuff, right? Like it's, yeah. it's not out of, out of context, you know? Yeah. It's, it's super in, in, interesting to me because I mentioned to you last night that, or maybe it was this morning that he's like a little bit unpredictable and he's a little wild and unpredictable and wild aren't always bad things, but they no. sometimes definitely are bad things. And it's hard to rein that in appropriately, like without cutting into why you want this guy on the court to begin with. And, and so it's like, and I think that this is also a part of Darwin's coaching philosophy that cuts both ways and can be a double-edged mm-hmm. sword at times. It's like when you're super encouraging and you tell people like, play your game, be aggressive. We want you to do this. We want you to do that. We and, believe and, in you. Yep. Yeah. Like we believe in you. Well, then if you believe in me, then you be, like, I'm... I'm not one thing or two things. I'm an entire person. I'm an entire player with this vast skill set, especially a guy like Cam Reddish, who has a pedigree of being a top player, right? He hasn't been that in the NBA, but that doesn't mean that he hasn't played a certain style his his entire basketball life. And so telling him on a play where he gets a long offensive rebound and he can just step in and take a 15-footer that's that's wide open, he's taking that shot. Or he's like one on, it's like, it's like two on three fast breakish, but no one is stopping the ball and he can walk into a three pointer. It's just like, he's going to walk into that three pointer. It's three on three, even break. I can turn the ball back and wait, or I can try to get into this crease and get to the hole and finish with, with my left hand, because I have that in, in my bag. He is taking those chances and it's like, Telling Cam Reddish to be risk averse, it's just like, what are you really the opposite doing? Of what he does, yeah, right. it's just like, look how he plays defense. The way he plays defense is the way he plays offense, right? Like, this is who this guy is. And so, what's frustrating me though is is that you you want that in the moment decision making to be like sort of that buzzer, like like uh, no no no, not this time. Like this is the time where I need to pull pull it back, and I don't know if that will come with reps or not. It no, feels that's, like that's not right. It feels like it won't. Right. And that's, that's important, right? Those are decisions, especially as basketball gets into the higher levels of the playoffs, like the choices that you make become crucial and the time that you have to make them shrinks more and more. And so that, that to me is one of the primary differences between him and Vando on offense is that Vando in those same opportunities that you were describing will be like, yeah, this isn't what I do. And we'll look to pass it off to somebody else. Right. And so that's something that offensively though, the results aren't coming with Cam on those 
those shots, right? He'll get, he's got a nice little Euro step when he attacks closeouts. And I think that him getting all the way to the basket off of attacking a closeout is valuable, but teams aren't really closing out that hard to him because of the type of three point shooter that he is. And so he, he adds, um, there, there are some negative aspects to his offense that can, I think, hurt the overall that he's one of the guys right now in the context of Gabe having been out all but this last one game, Vando being a little bit hobbled. He's playing 36 minutes per game, which is just an over ask for him. You know, it totally is looking at Cam and Prince as like more two than three and looking at Rui and Vando as like power wings who are going to do a little bit different things defensively, but basically that's where they are. Like they slot next to LeBron in very interesting ways and, and can even slot next to LeBron and AD Gabe coming back. I'm, I'm just interested to see like how much of that, like ball handling offensive initiation he can actually do in lineups next, next to Austin with then like scaled up size around them. So on in those groups, a lot of times, D, we're gonna have to play through Anthony Davis. And that's he's gonna be the main like offensive hub. And for me, it's more the fact that Gabe Vincent can relocate from the wing to the corner and shoot a movement three off of that type of thing, because he did that in Miami off of all those handoffs and all of that. Austin has that level of capability capability, but this is one of the things too. It's like as a pick and roll offense in a five out spacing, we haven't talked this about this barely at all over the last month, but I think there's a ceiling to that too. I think there's a, a reason why like a pick and pop big like Christian Wood has been really rough on offense, right? And so this pod could be two hours long. <laughs> there are so oh, many man, topics that I, I wish we had a, a, a chance to hit. Uh, I'm sorry we didn't get to all of them. Um, we will be back on Tuesday uh, after Christmas and all of that. Uh, Lakers got two big ones against OKC and then Boston. We will be back after both of those. Before we close out, it is Christmas time. It is the holiday time. Best wishes to everyone out there during this time of the year. I hope you find joy. I hope you find this time refreshing, and I hope that the Lakers can deliver a couple of wins to stuff in your stocking, especially on (laughs) Christmas Day against the Celtics. Uh, We always try to pod before a Celtics game, and we didn't even talk about them at all, but let's beat the Celtics too. We got to clean up our own house. It's, yeah. Yes, let's. (laughs) You've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. That next to the winner. It's on the way. Good. Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot, the NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, score. Score. one, miss it! Bryant! Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes! And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. And it's 
insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.